Late one September evening in 1991, a disastrous fire destroyed the largest machine on Earth. The Marion 6360 stripping shovel, known as the Captain, was the flagship machine at the vast Captain Mine Complex near Cutler, Illinois. It was a masterpiece of American engineering. The Captain was commissioned October of 1965. It was named after Thomas C. Mullins, known as Captain Mullins, the leader in surface coal mining technology in the early 20th century. It was said that the Captain shovel cost $25 million in 1965 and went to work the same year Caesar's Palace opened in Las Vegas, also at a cost of $25 million. Inflation adjusted to 2022 money, the machine would cost $235 million to build today. The burning of the captain lives vividly in the memories of those who were involved in the dramatic event. In 31 years removed from it, there are fewer and fewer voices alive to tell the story. This podcast, entitled The Captain's Final Hours, brings you the voices of those who operated the 6360, their first-hand account of fighting the blaze, and explores the cause of the fire that led to the captain's demise. I'm Will Stevens, and this is The Captain's Final Hours. I can remember about everything, I think. That's the voice of Gene Miller. Gene Miller was the operator of the Marion 6360 on the night that it burned. September the 9th, 1991. I had worked there about a year before the fire. I went over there like in September of 90. I used to work over at AMAX at the Leahy Mine, and then I went to Captain as a mechanic. And then I worked as a mechanic for about six months, and then that's when I went on to shovel. Do you uh, think back at the time running that shovel is like a special time in your life? Yes, yes. And for you, why was that special? Just because it was, you know, something that very few people in the world had the chance to run something that was that massive. Just how big was the 6360? Here's how Ron Gates, a one-time operator and oiler on the 6360, described it. He was 22 stories tall. Weighed 33 million pounds. The bucket weighed 300 tons and would pick up 300 tons. Fred Krager, another operator of the captain, had this to say. This machine could sit on the 50-yard line of a football field, lift 20 Volkswagens at one end, and sling around and dump them into the opposite end. Steve Carter, the retired operator of Nighthawk Coal, was working in the corporate office for Arch Mineral during the 1980s and 1990s. We interviewed him about the 6360 as well. I think my first memory was uh, going in the pit and essentially seeing uh, dozers and semi-tractor trailers uh, able to drive underneath it. And it just, uh, and, and you looked at the crawlers on it and they were just massive and it, it was uh, the uh, biggest uh, shovel ever built. It was beyond any uh, anything you could imagine. And my father, Joe Stevens, who had been a groundman on the captain, had this to say. Pictures of it cannot possibly do it justice. When you pulled up on that thing, it was colossal. It was as big as any building in a big city except for the fact that it moved. It was really, really something. I don't think they'll ever see the likes of it again. 
the 6360 was 215 feet tall, taller than the Statue of Liberty. It carried 22,000 horsepower motors, and the average electrical demand of the 6360 was 9.45 megawatts. That is equal to the average electrical demand of a city of 25 to 30,000 people. Once again, Joe Stevens. It was the pride of of everybody, quite honestly. The union and company men. Pride of hearts, we're no pride of Captain Mine, ain't no doubt about that. In September of 1991, the captain had been in operation for 26 years. Those 26 years had been mostly without incident. I asked Fred Crager if there was any reason to believe leading up to September the 9th, 1991, that something like a fire of this kind could happen. The only thing you got people have to understand is that this machine has 10,000 gallon of hydraulic oil that we carried on the machine because it's set on hydraulic jacks that kept it level. So when I come to work, there was a warning light that would flash periodically off and on, and because we evidently had a leak someplace. But it was nothing serious, you know. It, we've seen that before. It's like a low tire gauge on your automobile that says you got a low tire. And that's what we took it for granted, that we got an oil, a little oil leak someplace. If it would have stayed on and flashed, we'd have shut down. But it wouldn't. It'd just come on for a minute, and then it'd go off. And as you were operating, I mean, did was the machine functioning normally and you just smelled smoke? No, I could see the smoke coming. And when I saw the smoke coming out, I shut it down because it was coming between the decks. Once again, the operator of the Marion 6360 that day, Gene Miller. I was the operator. I ran until, like I say, lunchtime. And then Fred started running. That's when it all started. So I went up and called on the on the mine radio and said, "We got a fire on the shovel. We need you know you need to call fire departments and get them out here." So Captain had a small fire truck on property at all times that they owned. So they they brought it down and we fought the fire with it for a while and then you know of course it ran out of juice and then we just had to wait on the on the local fire departments to come there. I was also a fireman on the Steel Steel Fire Department, and I remember explicitly, I I can remember I rode out to the mine on the back of that fire truck. That is the voice of Dale Rice. Dale Rice was a longtime union miner and also for a period of years worked in Arch Minerals' management team. When you got to the fire, was the shovel fully engulfed in flames? No, not fully. When I got down there, the fire was still contained to the lower frame area, but all the connections to go between the lower frame and the upper frame, just by nature of the job, full of grease. And the fire, when I got there, was still below that. But then when that that grease on the the lower frame, when that grease got fire, then all hell broke loose. And as all hell was breaking loose from Dale Rice's perspective, there was a life-or-death drama playing out on the inside of the machine. Once again, Gene Miller. Well, we searched for the fire for a while until we figured out where it was at. And then we went down and started fighting the fire with 
you know, 20-pound fire extinguisher. Fred Krager began to fight the blaze. I had to go through four rooms, and I had a 50-pound fire extinguisher I grabbed from downstairs. But in my haste, I failed to look at the extinguisher. Well, it was out of pressure. So I carried it through the four rooms and uh, got I there. I was the first one into the fire. I squeezed the trigger because it didn't have any pressure. So I had to go back through the four rooms and got another fire extinguisher. And I put the fire out, but the walls... And the grease had got so hot down there, no more than I run out of the fire extinguisher, it ignited again. So I'd done that two or three times, and then it got so hot that I couldn't go in there anymore. And Gary was going up and down in the elevator, bringing fire extinguishers down to us because the fire was, you know, was so hot that we could get it put out. You know, the handheld extinguishers, but but then all of a sudden it just it was so hot that it just come right back. Once again, Fred Krager. Yeah, well, the walls and that was so hot. There wouldn't be any flame at all, and I think we're going to make this. And then just the more than I run out of fire extinguisher, it'd go just like lighting a gas stove. Woof! Then we'd have fire. Gary Andrews was a welder on the sixty-three sixty on the night of September the ninth, nineteen ninety-one. When I got aboard, on that expanded mill, they said, "Go get some fire extinguishers." So I jumped in the elevator and went up to the house. And we had we had some fire extinguishers right where you get off uh, from the elevator. And I gathered, I don't know, three or four of those. And I uh, got downstairs, and they said, get some more, get some more. So back up to the house I went, and uh, I went to the back of the machine, back of the hoist drum, and there were some more to, to around there. And I kind of walked around through the house. I didn't pick up too many. I maybe two or three more. And I got them and put in the elevator and went downstairs. They said, get some more, get some more. And then, you know, he happened to go up at the right time or wrong time, whichever way you want to look at it, I guess the wrong time, and that's when he got trapped upstairs. And so the third time I went up, it was all smoky and dark, acrid smoke that just hurt your lungs to breathe it. And I thought, oh, no. And I thought, you can't go back down through that to the lower frame. You might get stuck in that shoot and you'd, you'd be asphyxiated. So uh, just a s- split-second decision, I decided to go up where there was better air because I was gasping for breath just when I got up to the house. Of course, Gary didn't have any idea what was going on, but he was above the fire. All he knew, there was a fire blowing. So he figured the best thing he could do was go, you know, get as high as what he could go. They said, there's a man on the roof. And it was me, and they, they tried to get a, a picker off of uh, and, and get up on the roof. And, and But the roof, was, I was walking on the roof a little, just a little bit. It was very, very hot. You, you cannot believe how hot this fire was. Once again, Fred Krager. Well, I was not trapped. I was, we, I was down on the cold getting in the clear. And I didn't even realize that Gary wasn't with us till we got down on the cold. By then, there was more people coming and fire equipment. And one of the crew members said, hey, Fred, Gary's trapped upstairs. So I climbed up the high wall to the sixth cold, and there I could make contact with with Gary. Then I heard a voice, and it was Fred Krager. He had he, got on the picker and got off and walked up the boom and then came walked the pennant lines. And Gary said, Fred, it's really getting hot up here. I'm going to need help. And Gary was having nervous questions. He had all kinds of suggestions, and none of them, in my mind, would come out okay. 
you can talk about maybe jumping or maybe trying to slide down a handle or something. And I said, Gary, that ain't going to work. That's when I knew that I had to do something. He said, Fred, you got to get me down. And I said, I will, Gary. So in the meantime, a company official got up there and said, Fred, don't worry. But we got a helicopter coming and he'll pick him up. And Gary reminded me again. He said, I want off of here now. And I said, I'll be up there. So when I got into the cherry picker basket and swung around to the boom, uh, the company people advised me uh, not to do that. Pretty strongly advised me. So I went to the boom and then the support cables, that's the cables that run from the boom to the gantry. That's where I went down to get Gary. And I told Gary, get you a safety belt, Gary, I'm coming. But what I really wanted to do was just spend time up there with Gary. And I thought, well, I'll get a free helicopter ride out of this. But anyway, before I started on them, uh, down them cables, well, I said, oh Lord, I'm gonna need your help. So don't leave me now. Once again, Gene Miller. How many feet up in the air would they have been doing that? Oh, the top of the point was probably, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to say it was probably 200 feet. I don't, off, off, you know, it's been a long ago and I don't remember the specifics of that machine, but I'm going to say it was somewhere between 150 and 200 feet. So the top of the, the, the cab where I sat, or the operator sat when he run it, was like 40 feet off the ground. And the boom point's way higher than that. So down them cables I went and I got to Gary and I said, Gary, we'll just, let's just sit here and wait. The helicopter will come and we'll get off of here. And Gary said, no, Fred. He said, I can't stand it up here. And I said, no, we'll be all right, Gary. And I said, Gary said, I, I, I want down, Fred. And I said, all right, I'll get you down. I put the safety belt on him and we started down the cables and he'd been on vacation. That was his first day back. And we got started and there were wood blocks on them cables that we had to go around and we got to about the second wood block and Gary said, now that it's dark already and there's lights all over the pit, flashing lights. You know how things go when there's a fire. All kind of excitement going on. And Gary says, Fred, I can't make it. I said, hold it, Gary. I said, don't look down. Just look up at the skies or whatever. We're gonna be all right. And I got him around that block and said, come on, Gary, let's go some more. When we got to the next one, he said, Fred, I'm done. I can't make it. And I said, Gary, think about it. I said, if you don't make it, they're going to fire my you-know-what. And he, he giggled a little bit about it. Then. <laughs> he relaxed. So we got on down the line, and he said, I'm done. And I said, no, Gary, look how close we are to the end so we can get to the boom. So that's how he came down. And I didn't really – I didn't want to – I couldn't leave him up there. 